For the New York State AFL-CIO, I'm Darcy Wells, and this is Union Strong. Workplace safety has taken on a whole new meaning during COVID-19. As more and more of us start to return to our workplaces and maybe visit retail and department stores, likely hair and nail salons and barbershops and dining out, the big question is how do we do it safely as clients, customers, and workers? On this podcast, we will talk about workplace safety in the office setting and in the retail industry and what we all can do as customers, clients, and coworkers to stay safe. Let's start with returning to the office. The Public Employees Federation, PEF, represents 52,000 New York State workers in the Professional, Scientific, and Technical Unit of New York State. Their members work in job titles, including nurses, accountants, engineers, and many more. Joining me to talk about workplace safety in the office setting is Geraldine Stella, a health and safety specialist at PEF. Geraldine, thank you for joining me today. Hi, Darcy. Thanks so much for having me. So many of your members work in state office buildings, and even though offices are reopening in the public or the private sector, rather, across the state, for state office workers working right in the offices, at least for those who have been working from home, they're now planning to go back. But those plans are still being developed on how to have them safely return, right? Oh, yeah. There's a lot going on around plans. And I would imagine, in part, some of that has to do with the sheer volume of offices and the buildings and how closely workspaces are laid out. And I know you have, PEF has a 15-page toolkit on how to safely return to work. And uh, from what I saw, it looks like it starts right out with a, a real focus on the importance of management and labor being able to work together on a health and safety plan. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? You know, there's a lot of moving parts when it comes to figuring out what to do to bring people back to work safely. And it's going to depend, are you in an office setting? What Mm -hmm. kind of office setting? Is it a high-rise building? Is it a converted home? What type of setting are you in? And our workers are the ones who are in those workspaces. They know best where the hazards are and what they are. Mm -hmm. But health and safety is one of those areas that... It, it, it really benefits both labor and management. So we talk a lot about having cooperative approaches. You have to. The virus doesn't know who's, who's union and who's management, right? <laughs> We're point. all at risk, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> We're all at equal risk for, for infection. So we, we try to work with management. They're the ones who have control over the workplace. We need their resources and their buy-ins to put the right controls in place, but they need our input. They need to know where those hazards are. So again, health and safety is one of those places we try to work really cooperatively on. If we had to fight everything out using a PESH complaint or an OSHA complaint or any of the other legal remedies we might have, it would take a long time. And in the meantime, you have people who may be getting sick or even dying from exposure, right? So so there's kind of an immediacy to working with a pandemic that we don't that we don't have with other health and safety issues we work on with management. But in this case, we were, everybody was reacting. Mm -hmm. Everybody was trying to put out fires. And at some point you have to take a breath and go, you know what? We have to be proactive now, Mm -hmm. you know, and we have to plan for what's going to happen if there's another surge, what's going to happen in the fall. So doing that, working together with management is the way to prepare for that. It's the only way to prepare for it. And what are some of the specific priorities that PAF is focusing on to keep members safe? 
Well, I think probably number one, obviously, is PPE, right? Mm-hmm. Whether you're you're talking about office environments or our our clinical settings, our correctional settings, our facility settings, PPE is the biggest issue. It's the biggest problem not just in New York state, right? But around the world, mm-hmm. there's a critical shortage. And we're, we were trying from the very beginning to make sure that our members had the right PPE. Uh, there was a shortage and New York state wasn't just trying to buy it in New York state or buy it around the country. It was a global market right. for PPE. Mm-hmm. And so even when you could get it, you were paying quadruple or more mm-hmm. per mask that you used to. So that's still a real high priority. It's it's improved somewhat, but it's still a big priority. There's a lot of conservation of PPE. Uh, some of our healthcare workers, they, they wear masks for extended periods of time. It could be days, it could be weeks. Well, what do you do about with an office setting for state employees? You know, I always think of those... Um what do you call this? The uh, the cubbies, you know, that everybody works in. Is that enough? Cubicles. Right. Thank you. Cubicles. <laughs> cubbies. Is that enough protection? Is that enough space? Or is all that being looked at as well? Well, that's and that is actually one of the things that we we are right in the middle of trying to suss out. Um, the CDC recommendations are if, if you have six foot of distance right between you and and someone else that that's social distancing that's what they're calling social distancing and that at that point you know you should be safe well that premise was based on early determinations of the virus that said transmission was more about contact with surfaces mm-hmm. um, not so much airborne and now they're seeing that that's not the case so the six foot is based on I'm going to get really technical here and I'm going to try that's not okay. to be too that's technical okay. <laughs> <laughs> but when we breathe or we talk or we sing or whatever, we're we're expelling these aerosols and, and there are larger ones and smaller ones. And when the larger ones come out of your mouth, they tend to fall to surfaces within that six foot distance. That's how they came up with that mm-hmm. six feet. The smaller ones stay suspended in the air longer and they can project farther. And so that's what we're seeing now with this virus, that there are smaller aerosols that are projecting farther. So what we're saying is six feet doesn't necessarily mean you're all okay. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the virus doesn't come up to the six foot and go, you know, <laughs> right. Like, stop right there. So in a cubicle setting, you hit the nail on the head there. Is that safe? That's what our members are wondering mm-hmm. because cubicle walls tend to be lower. If they're two in a cubicle space, um, some of the agencies are saying, well, there's 12 foot of space. Each one has six feet. They should be fine. And we're saying, no, not really, because there's no real separation between the two. And you're never just constantly at six feet. So, yeah, one of our priorities is to make sure that those spaces are moved out. They're farther apart. Can you put things in between them? Cubicle walls can be raised. Mm-hmm. Uh, plexiglass can be installed. You can use every other cubicle. There's ways to do it to reduce that density in the workplace so that people aren't right on top of each other. And so then that brings me to the question of the air filtration systems in these buildings. What's what's going on with that? I know that that is a concern of PEFs. Yeah, absolutely. And and we didn't come up with this on our own. You know, um, ASHRAE, which is the American Society of Heating, uh, Air Conditioning uh, Engineers, um, they recommend using 
higher filtration filters to filter out the smaller, smaller particles that this virus is, right? So usually you, you're filtering for dust, you're filtering for pollen, and viruses are much smaller. So higher filtration systems will pull the virus out of the air. It's not the only thing to do. We are not saying once you put these filters in, you're done. It's in conjunction with all of the other control measures, the social distancing, the masking, the hand washing, uh, the lower density in the workplace. So it's an important part of it, though, because if you think about hospitals and infectious disease units, they have these more complicated, denser filtration systems to take to pull that virus out of the air. So it can be a really important part of the process. And now your members are not just all in these cubicles and state office buildings. Many of them have been, and some of them will be when they go back into their their office workspace, deal with the public on a regular basis. And then what comes to mind there is I know a a priority for PEF has always been um, workplace safety and workplace violence, which, Mm -hmm. you know, we've seen some of that with even with the retail industry and other places where people don't want to wear a mask or maybe they're impatient, you know, with the service. What are you what are you doing on that? Those side of things for um, to keep your members safe? Yeah, we've had a lot of workplace violence concerns around this pandemic. Um, A lot of our members were deemed essential, so they stayed on the job. Mm -hmm. And so if there were restrictions on walk-ins or um, appointment-only services, some some things can't stop. Parole, for instance, or in our obviously correctional facilities, Mm -hmm. our OMH centers. A good example of where we were concerned about workplace violence would be uh, our DOL folks, people were scared and frustrated and they weren't getting their money. And the system was so overwhelmed that it was taking people would be I mean, I, I've known people who were on hold for hours waiting mm-hmm. for someone to talk to them about their unemployment benefits. So in that case, when we started looking at that to say, you know, hey, um, there's people protesting outside of Department of Labor offices. Where is my check? Why I have to pay my rent or mm-hmm. I have to put food on my table? So we had to talk about, can we bring employees in different entrances, having security uh, to make sure that there were people who were available should something go wrong. So yeah, we've definitely been dealing with workplace violence issues. And even in our facilities, as people are locked down, mm-hmm. right? Visitors, they couldn't have visitors or visitation was very um, few and far in between. There's a lot of restrictions on visitation. Patients, inmates, the people you are servicing don't know or they don't understand maybe why they can't run up and hug their caretaker that they used to be able to do or mm-hmm. they don't get their visit from their family. And then they become more agitated and the, and the risk for violence increases. So we've been dealing a lot of, with those types of issues. So it's all really, it's about keeping all of us safe, you know, whether you're uh, on the other side, uh, whether you're the worker or the person, you know, needing the services, the workers providing. And I think we just have to all show that patience and respect for one another uh, and keep that in mind as we try to move forward throughout this um, pandemic. Well, Geraldine, I know you guys have done an awful lot of work already and you've got a lot of work to go. So I thank you, um, Geraldine Stella, Health and Safety Specialist at PEF. Thank you for taking the time with us today. Thank you so much, Darcy. 
The Retail Wholesale and Department Store Union represents 40,000 members in New York State and a wide range of industries. For the purpose of this discussion, we're going to focus on RWDSU members in the retail and department store industry. And joining me for that conversation is Dave Mertz, who's the assistant to RWDSU President Stuart Applebaum. Dave, thank you for joining me today. Darcy, thank you for having me on. We really appreciate the opportunity to talk. So your members are dealing directly with the public throughout their workday. Just tell me a little bit about where your uh, members are located, where they're working, and what are the jobs that they're doing in retail and department stores? Yeah, so RWDSU members uh, work, uh, you know, primarily in the New York metropolitan area, Long Island, New York City, uh, in retail stores that I'm sure most of the public are familiar with, Macy's and Bloomingdale's, uh, H&M and Zara. Uh, as well as uh, area supermarkets and Dwayne Reeds. Um, they're uh, the folks that you see when you go and shop into a store. Those are our members. So have you been working with the store managers or owners on how to ensure the safety of your members as they head back to the stores? Yeah, we have. And I mean, it's been something that we've been negotiating to try to get uh, conditions that are as safe as possible, not just for the folks that we represent, but for the people who are shopping in the stores. I mean, this is a public health crisis. It's something we take very, very seriously. And we want to make sure that the conditions in the stores are as safe as they possibly can be during this time. Uh, and uh, frankly, it's been a challenge. I mean, we've had some employers that have been uh, more uh, willing to work with us and others that we've had to sort of drag a little kicking and screaming to get there. Um, but um, I think you know we've done a, a pretty good job in trying to make sure that the stores um, are safe. And when they're they're not, we're, we're calling out uh, the employers and trying to correct it. Um, one thing I will add, Darcy, too, is that important in this, all of this has been uh, both the state and the city uh, in making sure that we have as, as strong uh, protocols for, for safety when people are in uh, retail stores as possible. I think in some ways um, you know, we've spent an awful lot of time uh, making sure that the city and the state have, have done just that, and, and by and large they have. And I think you know we've got some fairly good standards here. There are things that we can definitely improve, but um, uh, we've, uh, you know, really tried our best to make sure that those protocols are uh, as strong as they can be. What are some of the safety measures that you're calling for to keep, let's start with the workers, safe? Yeah. Masks, masks, masks. <laughs> it really, I mean, it's, it's incredible. This is not rocket science. It is not, you know, particularly hard for folks to wrap their brain around what mm -hmm. it is that we need to do to keep safe. And one of the things that we feel is extremely important is that customers wear masks when they're in a store all the time. Mm -hmm. um, it, you know, it's not for the individual who's wearing the mask. It's for the people who are around them so that if, you know, God forbid somebody has the virus, that mask helps stop them from spreading mm -hmm. the virus to other people around them. So we feel that that's very, very important. There are a whole host of other things that uh, we're advocating for, um, including adequate break time so that, you know, employees can uh, be washing hands, to have mm -hmm. hand sanitizer present, um, you know, in all areas where employees are, uh, social distancing uh, within the stores, um, you know, proper ventilation is extremely important. We're hearing more and more about that. Uh, and, um, you know, and, and a strong, uh, you know, protections for, uh, for workers who don't have to be asked to enforce 
uh, any of these requirements on customers because what we don't want to have happen is to have you know frontline retail workers confronting customers who either don't understand that they what they should be doing or are actively violating the standards that have been established and so are refusing to wear a mask. We, we feel that that puts uh, that creates a potentially volatile situation that we feel uh, you know workers should not be exposed to, and that's the source of proper security or, or properly trained management to deal with that. You know, we've seen videos of shoppers in other parts of the country refusing to wear masks, and the situations have escalated quickly. Face mask controversy after this outburst caught on camera. So anyone harassing me to wear a mask, you guys are violating federal law. Did you get that? Get that on camera. This Trader Joe's shopper. So how do you, how do you hold customers accountable for the safety of everyone else? I mean, it's it's flat out nutty that people would refuse to wear masks at this point. And unfortunately, a lot of this nonsense has, uh, you know, come from uh, uh, from the White House uh, and their their lack of leadership or, or just the, you know, the terrible messaging that President Trump has given on masks. Wearing a mask is not too much to ask of people to, it's, it's a thing, it's, a bit, it's about respect, you know, it's yeah. about public safety and health. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's, it's a minor inconvenience compared to what the, the workers in the stores have to deal with and and the risk that they're putting themselves at. So, you know, we would just, you know, reinforce that messaging to consumers and customers that it's like, it's just a question of respect. It's not a hard thing to do. And Darcy, by and large, I think, you know, we've seen that most customers in, in New York have been complying and willingly do so and are even calling out people who may not. Mm-hmm. But one thing I, I will just point out that, you know, uh, I personally have noticed and others have seen uh, is that people will wear masks in the stores, but then, of course, they want to talk on their cell phone. So they pull their mask down and they start talking on their cell phone. As right? if you can't hear through a mask and <laughs> talking you know, on your phone. Come on. It's like you just leave, 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 the, leave the mask on. It's really it's yeah. not that complicated. Yeah. Once you take it off, you know, you're, you're just you're throwing away all mm-hmm. the benefits that that mask had, had brought to you. So, just, you know, that would be the one thing I would point out. But, but generally speaking, I think most customers have been good. I, we hope that stays the same. We hope the messaging from the state and the city stays strong on that. We will continue to work with our employers. We will continue to work with our members to make sure that folks understand that. Uh, and, um, and we're, you know, counting on the public to, uh, you know, to, to be there uh, for us as, as we're trying to be there for them. So what kind of safety measures do your, your uh, members have to go through before they return to work to make sure they're healthy and can be in these stores? Yeah, it's interesting. It's it's a little bit of a of a hit and miss proposition. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in uh, uh, at Macy's, uh, we had a situation where we were able to get the company to agree to temperature checks mm-hmm. on the way into the store, which is you know it's not great, but it's something. Uh, but they only agreed to do it in um, some of their stores and not all of their stores, mm-hmm. and they only agreed to do it in their larger stores for some reason. I guess at the smaller stores they felt that you know employees health was less you know vulnerable than it was i don't know for whatever it was it was it was a weird message so the union had to step in and actually provide that service and and do temperature checks at the at the stores as employees oh that's cool so you did do that on your own then okay 
We did. I mean, we were, you know, we were forced to do it because it's, you know, again, it's important. I mean, we should all be trying to like look for ways in which we can do the most that we can not to, you know, meet the minimum requirements, you know, and that's one of the problems we have uh, with some employers is that they're only looking to meet minimum requirements. And, and we keep pushing that. It's like, that's, that's just not enough. You know, it's like, you've got to be able to ensure the public that you're doing everything you possibly mm-hmm. can to create a safe environment. It's good for the business. It's, it's good for the public and it's just a decent thing to do so that it's like, you know, across the board, um, you know, there is some kind of a check, whether it's self-reporting, whether it's temperature checks for employees when they're coming into work to try to ascertain as to whether or not somebody uh, has the virus. If they do, um, you know, you, you quickly want to try to contact the, uh, you know, the, the proper, uh, you know, uh, governmental authorities to, you know, uh, uh, have a record of that. You also mm-hmm. want to, you know, get involved in making sure that it's like anyone that that person has come to contact with uh, is, is contacted as well. And that proper cleaning is done in the store locations if that person, uh, if somebody had been, you know, uh, diagnosed as having the virus uh, was was working during that period. You want to make sure that you can do the proper deep cleaning uh, in, in the store so that, you know, you're, again, you're keeping the environment safe. So has there been um, talk and is there a plan in place if somebody is found to uh, test positive and they're working in the store, whether it's a manager, employee, whoever it is, like, will they shut down or does it depend on how many people test positive? Yeah, it actually um, it sort of depends on the on the employer, oddly enough, and so in uh, and and some of it is is a little nerve wracking because um, there is uh, no strong governmental uh, you know standard for how it should be done. Um, so we have some employers who will shut down you know the, the entire store for you know the twenty four hour four eight hour period and and do the deep cleaning. We have other places where they you know, we're only um, looking at doing, uh, you know, a partial shutdown of departments or areas where that person was. Um, so it's it's not it's not great. It could be better, but um, you know, I think it, there was some you know lessons learned, um, you know, over the you know the months that we've been dealing with this. That it's you know you can't be too aggressive in dealing with this. I mean, there's no downside to being aggressive in dealing with this. You know, I think, uh, unfortunately, some employers are, are more concerned about the bottom line than they are about the uh, uh, the health of their workers and their customers. But we say there's no, you can't differentiate. You know, right. if you've got an unsafe environment, people are not going to want to shop, you're going to lose money. So it's actually, it makes sense in terms of the business to be aggressive yeah. as possible in dealing with these, uh, you know, dealing with the virus. Well, sure. Well, Dave Mertz of RWDSU, um, I thank you for taking the time today. And um, it's really it's really nice to hear the efforts that RWDSU is taking to make sure all of your members are safe because it keeps the rest of us safe. So thank you very much. I appreciate it. Darcy, thank you. And, and, and thank you to the New York State Fed. You guys are amazing. You do great work. And um, you know, together, I think we're all going to get through this. All right. Thanks, Dave. Charlene Obernauer is the executive director of the New York Committee for Occupational Safety and Health, NICOSH. Charlene, thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me on. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about NICOSH, uh, for those who aren't familiar, what your mission is and who it is uh, that you try to help and represent? Sure. So we're a nonprofit organization, and we focus on education and training as well as advocacy to support workers' right to a safe and healthy workplace. 
And so a lot of the work that we do is training workers on how to be safe, training workers on different hazards that they face on the job. But then we often use the information that we get from these trainings to advocate for sensible policy proposals. Like, for example, we've been a big supporter of construction safety legislation over the past number of years. We've also been big supporters of nail salon safety and health um, standards for the past couple of years. So those are some of the issues that we've worked on on the policy front. But mostly we are trying to um, make sure that we stay in direct connection with workers via the trainings and education work that we do. Okay. And as you know, today we're talking about uh, how to safely return to work in this time of COVID-19. And for union members, they have someone that they can go to if they're concerned about workplace safety. But what Mm -hmm. advice can you give to those workers who don't have that union representation uh, and they might be concerned about going back to work? Well, first, something to keep in mind for all workers is that every workplace in New York State is required to have a plan for what their workplace will do when workers return to work. And the governor's office put out this requirement because it's pretty essential that a workplace has standards in place and has policies in place so that workers know what they can expect and what they're coming uh, what they're coming in contact with on the job. And so one thing that I would tell workers is if, they haven't yet seen one of these plans and they feel comfortable asking for access to these plans. That's one clear way to at least understand what the policies are that your workplace is putting in practice and what should be followed or what the workplace says should be followed. That's the first thing. On the on the second hand, I would also recommend that workers, depending upon what industry they're in, they look at the New York Forward Guidelines, which the governor's office has available on their website, and they look at what the standards are required, what standards are required to be in place in their workplace, and that they actually make sure that those standards are in place, both in terms of the written document that they have to be provided with, and in terms of what's actually being put in place in their workplace. Okay, all all good advice. So are there unique challenges, though, for undocumented workers? Are they facing more risks? Absolutely. And, you know, I, I say this, that workers should have access to these plans and workers should be able to talk to their employers about it. But a lot of workers don't feel empowered on the job to do that. And I don't think it's just undocumented workers, although that's a huge population that is going to have that fear. I think it's also just non-unionized workers in general, right? Mm -hmm. They don't have a, a set body that is going to advocate for their rights and they don't have those protections that they know a union provides. I mean, they do have protections, right? They have the right to organize legally. They have all of these things, Mm -hmm. but oftentimes that doesn't really matter for workers, especially if they're vulnerable workers, because at the end of the day, if you have that fear of your employer that they're not going to listen to you or they might retaliate against you, sure, you might have a case with the National Labor Relations Board and you might be able to pursue that. Mm -hmm. But for most workers, that's a long process. And so they still would face the immediate consequences of retaliation. So it's really tricky. It's, It's a hard position to be in as a worker. What about the responsibility um, of us as members of the um, public when we go into certain places? I know you mentioned like nail salons, for example, earlier. Um, Nail salons are opening Mm -hmm. across the state. What is our responsibility going in there to make sure that we're being safe and that we're keeping other customers safe and those workers safe? Definitely. Well, the first thing that I would say is that just because a business is open doesn't mean that it's safe. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that it's safe for you. And it doesn't mean that it's safe for the workers that are working there. The government is trying to balance economic necessity with keeping workers and keeping the public safe. And that's a difficult balance. As we know, 
New York City was supposed to enter into phase three, which would include indoor dining in restaurants. And New York City didn't enter into phase three for indoor dining with restaurants. We still entered into phase three, but there was no indoor dining. And the reason for that is that there have been a lot of studies that have shown that as indoor dining has increased, so too does the number of COVID cases in a specific region. So the state is pretty hesitant to open up indoor dining in a place like New York City, where we still, even though we don't have as many COVID cases as we did, we still do have a significant number of cases and we still do have that risk there. So what I would say to people, if they are still going out and maybe they're going to outdoor restaurants or they're going to, you know, the outdoor section of restaurants, or if they're going to get a service done, the first thing they have to know is, like I said earlier, just because the business is open doesn't mean it's safe. And Mm -hmm. so they really have to take those precautions that are necessary. I've seen anything from people who are going in to get a haircut or going into a nail salon and aren't concerned about wearing a face mask, right? And so they just you know, maybe they have a long beard now because they've been in quarantine for a while. (laughs) They're like, okay, I'm just going to take off my face mask. Well, you know, maybe you should, you know, think about trimming your facial hair on your own and not face, not have a worker be exposed to you breathing, right? Or you potentially, you know, putting out these aerosols or these droplets that can make another person get sick. So that's the first thing, right? It's just common courtesy now to wear a mask. And just because you're getting a service done doesn't mean that that courtesy disappears. It actually is is more and more important. Right. And the it, other thing, and it's protecting. Sorry. It's no. It's it's um, really protecting the other person, which we have to be reminded of. You know, if you you might not feel sick at the moment, but you need to keep that on because the person, especially that closeness with doing nails, you're protecting that other person who's right across from you. Exactly. Um, and the final thing that I would say in regards to what customers should do or what people should do if they're frequenting a business, they have to be aware that these are businesses that have been closed down for a long time. Mm -hmm. The businesses are struggling, but in particular, the workers themselves are struggling, right? Mm -hmm. And for businesses where there have been workers who potentially are undocumented, these are workers that haven't had access to a stimulus check, right? They Mm -hmm. haven't had access to unemployment. And so they have this great necessity to work and to get paid. And if this is an industry where the workers are getting tipped wages, Mm -hmm. it's all more, all the more for people to tip, tip well, especially if, if you've done okay. And, you know, we know the rest of the country is struggling right now. And, you know, you've been able to work from home or you've been able to continue your job, maybe as an essential worker or whatever. Um, It's a really good opportunity to pay it forward for other workers and to really tip well, if you're going to have these different conveniences offered to you. Well, that's a really good point. And and in particular, if you're able to go out to get something to eat or to go to a nail salon or a hair salon, then you, you know, you that's a luxury, right? So you can, if you can afford to do that, you can afford to give a little more to these workers for sure. So exactly. all very good advice. Uh, Charlene Obernauer is the executive director of the New York Committee for Occupational Safety and Health. Thank you, Charlene, for taking the time to join us on the podcast. Thanks so much. It was great being on. Joining me now on the podcast is our digital director and the editor of the program, Kevin Eitzman. Hi, Kevin. Hi, Darcy. One of the main messages we kept hearing from the people we had on today, the guests, was, you know, to to continue to wear the masks, and by the way, wear them the right way, over Mm -hmm. your nose and mouth, and, uh, you know, be respectful when you go in, whether it's around your coworker or, you know, a service that that you're having done or dining, to just be respectful 
of uh, the social distancing and the and the face mask wearing, right? Absolutely. I mean, we were all you know eager to get back to some normalcy and and to have things open again. But with that, you know, comes the risk to the workers specifically that they're providing you services. So please, please, please be respectful of of the workers doing their job and um, take care of them when, when you can. And there's a lot of resources out there, too, and we have them on our website as well, that New York State has them on and their site, if you're listening to us in New York about safety, what you should expect. I just want to remind people that what you should expect as you return to work and stores and other places um, that we can now be you know, back visiting. Uh, so and then we also want to remind people about the um, the app. Yep. You can text NYSAFLCIO to 555-888. And you will get a link directly to your phone uh, to download the app and, and get the all aboard. And that's really a, a great place where we're going to uh, have uh, lots of information up and you'll have early access to the podcast uh, for downloading the app. So it's a, it's a good good way to stay in touch and know everything that's happening uh, in the labor movement. And it's easy to remember because it's called the Union Strong app. So uh, you can find it. It's It'll be really useful, um, particularly to union members. So. Well, thanks, Kevin, and uh, stay healthy, continue to stay healthy, and I'll see you uh, uh, from a distance in the hallway <laughs> now and then. <laughs> Sounds good. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Union Strong Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, you can subscribe and give us a rating. This has been a production of the New York State AFL-CIO. Our president is Mario Salento. Our secretary-treasurer is Terry Melvin. We're a federation of 3,000 unions representing 2.5 million union members, retirees, and their families with one goal, to raise the standard of living and quality of life of all working people. We keep New York State unions strong by fighting for better wages, better benefits, and better working conditions. For more information on the labor movement in New York, visit nysaflcio.org. Until next time, stay union and stay strong.